Mothers in the house? Yeah. Put your hand up if you are a mom here right now. Okay. I want, I want to pray for you specifically. Can we do that? If you're online, uh, whether you're in a hospital, whether you're traveling, uh, no matter where you are, we've got people who join us around the world online. Uh, if you're a mom, put your hand up. Somebody's uh, on a plane with their hand up now. People are like, what's going on? Well, you can share with those on the plane what's going on. Let me, let me pray for you. And as a church, uh, no matter what that word means to us, let's pray powerfully in the spirit for the moms here today. Would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you that you tell us on one hand in Scripture that you carry us like a father carries a child. And on the other hand, you tell us in Scripture that, God, you care for us the way a mother hen cares for its chicks. So, God, there's this reality that you are so much bigger than what we can even picture. That, God, the moms in the room actually, in their goodness, in their joy, in their shepherding, in their care and in their nurturing, actually reflect your character, God. Because, God, you make us male and female in your image. And so, God, I pray for the moms here today that you would give them a sense of the worthiness of the calling that you've called them to that you would give them strength, that you would give them peace, that you would give them courage, that you would give them patience, and that you would set their eyes on you in the highs, the lows, the joys, the sorrows. And God, I thank you that because you call your people to follow you, that we see that mothering is so much more than just a biological thing. So, God, I thank you for the women in this church who are mentors, who are shepherds, who are teachers, who are leaders, because we believe that, God, you call both men and women equally to lead. You give them your spirit. You give them gifts. And so would we be a people, no matter what our background is, that as we rely on your strength, that we would transform this city from the inside out. God, we think of the orphans in this city. I pray that a generation of women would rise up to be mothers to these kids. God, I think about all the ways in which you have called us to be your people, to be your hands and feet, to be part of the revival and renewal of every person, neighborhood, and city. And so, God, on this day, while the world acknowledges moms, we thank you that today is also Ascension Sunday, that Jesus, at the right hand of the Father, you give every mother your spirit, like you give every person who chooses to follow you the strength to be bold in the ministry that you've called us to. God, we thank you for this time. We lift up our hearts and our minds to you, and in Jesus' name we pray. We say together, amen. amen. As you grab a seat, why don't we give thanks to the moms here today and all the work, whether present or not present, with us or not. Boy, what a joy it is to be with you here on this on this Sunday, my name's Drew. I'm a senior pastor. Uh, it's been four years that I've got to walk this journey with you. And I don't know if you've heard of this story. Anybody from the 1920s here? No? There was some in the 830 that raised their hand. It was amazing, um, which I love about our multi-generational church. It's one of the most beautiful things about our church is that we're multi-ethnic, uh, that we're across the spectrum politically, that we're across the spectrum of age. And it's so beautiful as we come together. Uh, you know, there's this, there's this true story that actually happened in the 1920s up in San Francisco. And uh, 
two brothers. They were not twins, uh, a couple years apart. And living in San Francisco, they kind of both went uh, different ways, the paths in life. And apparently the, the younger son kind of got caught up in the wrong crowd. One thing led to another, and uh, things escalated, and he ended up taking someone's life. It's messy. He flees the scene, covered in blood. He gets home. He takes those bloody clothes off. He just dumps them on the floor. He cleans himself up. He puts on different clothes. He tries to cover himself up, and he flees. Now, that older brother, whom they hadn't talked in a while, just sees his younger brother rush in, covered in blood, has no idea what happened. All he knows is that he sees these clothes on the ground. Now, younger brother left, and he sees authorities making their way up, banging on the door. True story. San Francisco, 1920s, the older brother does something unimaginable. He takes off his clothes, and he puts on those bloody clothes. In the moment, he makes a decision. Uh, the door breaks down. The authorities come in. They arrest him. They take him in. There's a trial. He's convicted. All the evidence is there. The verdict comes in. The penalty comes in. He's executed. True story. Now, the younger brother has fled goes into hiding, has no idea what's happened, is living in tremendous fear, is living on the run, uh, is filled with so much guilt, knows his life will never be the same, and is living in absolute paralyzing agony. You'll never imagine what happened next. Before I get there, let me say this. Every single one of you, me included, is that younger sibling. We don't know it, but we are. Before we get to the finish of that story, why don't we open our Bibles to Colossians 3. Oh, I know, right? I'm telling you, on this day, I love God's... Uh, just timing of Mother's Day and Ascension Sunday all coming together on this day. And as we go to Colossians 3, I'm going to read for us a longer section of Scripture. This is 1 through 17. What page is it in your pew Bible? 956. Blake on the… Oh, I, I heard Blake over there. Yeah, he got it, Ron. Yeah, he's quick on the draw. Uh, and as we join us online, uh, I'm reading the New Revised Standard Version. We're in the second week of a sermon series uh, last week, the first week, we talked about being radically good. This week is radically Christ-centered. And I'm telling you, this, this changes everything if we allow this truth to seep into our hearts and our minds. Let me read Colossians 3, 1 through 17. The Apostle Paul writes, So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. 
On account of these, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways you also once followed when you were living that life. But now you must get rid of all such things, of anger, of wrath, malice, slander, and abusive language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices and have clothed yourselves with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of its creator. In that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. As God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, with kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against each other, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So you also must forgive. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your heart, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. This, my friends, is the reading of God's Word. All right, if you're taking notes, and before we get to the end of that, that story, that true story, uh, three things I have for us today. Uh, first is the location of our soul. Second, the foundation of our identity. And third, the direction of our life. First, the location of our soul. Now, let me define terms here. I mean, that's, that's kind of a, a, a word that maybe every single one of us has different definitions of. The way the Bible describes our soul is not just a part of us. Actually, our soul is the sum totality of who we are. Again, it's not just a part of us. It's the sum totality of who we are. It's our mind. It's our heart. It's our will. It's our, it's our bodies. It's our spirit. The soul is the fullness of who you are. And Dallas Willard, a great uh, Christian teacher and thinker, writer, he says this, that for Christians, the soul, ready for this? The soul is perpetually in the presence of God. The location of your soul, Paul says right here, is with God right now. Open those Bibles back up. Take a look at this because we, we, we mess this up all the time. We've so got this wrong, and because of it, we live with frustration, we live with fear, we live with doubt. Take a look at verse 3 of Colossians 3, and it says this, You have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. There's this reality. Now, let me take a step back for a moment. On Ascension Sunday, what Scripture says that Jesus is the fullness of God that came to dwell with us. He lived the perfect life. He did all the things that He longs for us to do. He didn't do anything that he calls us not to do, and he lived this perfect life. He was without sin, without brokenness, without bitterness, without selfishness, and he went to the cross on our behalf as a choice. Scripture says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. We've talked about it before. You are the joy. He did it all for you. And the amazing thing is, not only did he go to the cross, he defeats death, he rises from the grave, and on Ascension Sunday, the whole church around the world celebrates the fact that Jesus, right now, present tense, is at the right hand of the Father. 
Now, what that means and why there's an amen in the house is because that means something so significant. If you study kingdoms around the world, if you watch any television shows about kingdoms, you know that the throne is a place of power. And at the right hand of the throne is another place of power. So for Jesus to be at the right hand of the Father means that Jesus is at a place where all authority has been given to him, all power has been given to him, he is accepted into the fullness of God's family, that he rules over all, he is the Prince of Peace, he is the Lord of Lords, he is the Lion, he is the Lamb, he is the Great I Am, he is all things, he's the Alpha and the Omega, and he is in that place. All things have been given to him and for him and through him. His inheritance can't be touched. It can't be shaken. He has a kingdom that can't be overwhelmed. And here's the crazy thing. When you give your life to Christ, your soul, the fullness of who you are, present tense, is in that place. Like, let that, let that sink in for a moment. And some of us are like, say what? Because we're not given this truth. We live with the perspective of what's in front of us. Our mind is overwhelmed with what we see, what we don't see. Our mind is overwhelmed with the frustrations that we have, what we don't have. Uh, our, our mind is overwhelmed with what the doctor just said, with how much money is in the bank account. Our mind is overwhelmed with the status of which we live, that which we have or we don't have. Our mind, which is only a part of ourselves, is stuck here on earth. And the moment we allow the fullness of our perspective to be stuck just here on earth, we deny this great and glorious truth that our soul is located at the right hand of the Father. That actually, because we've given our life to Christ, we have received an inheritance that can't be touched. We receive authority. We receive power. We receive peace. We receive joy. All of it's been given. We have a future that can't be touched. We have security far beyond what anything can give us. And yet our minds are so stuck to the here and now. And that's why the Apostle Paul says in verse 1, take a look, open those Bibles back up. If you've been raised with Christ, that's past tense, by the way. He doesn't say if you are going to be raised someday in the future. Like, get out of your mind that you're going to experience God's kingdom only after you die. It's past tense. You've given your life to Christ. He says, therefore, you are raised with Christ. It's already true. It's already happened. But our minds are, are obstructed by just what we see. Therefore, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds that are on things above, not on things that are on earth. He's saying there's this truth. There's this reality. Later on in the text, he says that we've got to be renewed in this knowledge on the daily because we forget it. We get overwhelmed by what's in front of us. So you've got to set your mind on that truth that no matter if the wheels are falling off the wagon in your relationship, there's a relationship that you're part of eternally that can't be shaken. That even though the world might say, you know, that relationship uh, is never going to work out, that actually there is a resource that God can give you to begin to mend and to heal and hopefully to reconcile and restore that relationship. That regardless of what your health is right now in this moment, there is a, a future reality where we're going to experience the fullness of what our soul is already at. You see, we live by faith, Scripture says. And faith is believing what we don't see. And Paul says, because our soul is located 
in Christ, at the right hand of the Father, set our minds on that. When moms were overwhelmed with all the dishes, with the, with the dirty laundry, with the, the menialness of life, when uh, we long to be moms and can't, set our minds on that truth that we are so much more than this thing here on earth. When you understand the location of your soul, Paul says, set your mind on that. You, you've heard of the phrase, uh, they're too heavenly-minded for any earthly good. Have you heard that phrase before? A bunch of lies. Actually, what Scripture says is that if you are heavenly-minded, you'll actually be the most earthly good. When you actually uh, remember and focus on the fact that you have the authority as a child of God, then you can walk into that job interview with so much confidence, not because of your arrogance, not because of your resume, but you can walk into that with complete freedom because if you get hired or not, your future isn't shook. That you can actually walk into being a peacemaker in a broken situation with absolute confidence and courage because you have the Prince of Peace on your side. That God always has the last word, that you can walk into chemo that you can walk into bankruptcy court. You can walk into all these places with absolute courage because your soul is at the right hand of the Father. And we've got to grow in that truth. It's, it's a true reality that, that many of us don't even fully grasp. There's some of us looking at me like, what on earth are you talking about? I just want to get to brunch. You're missing. I mean, some of you, you understand. Like, this group understands. You're, like, tracking with me right here. But I don't know. I mean, there's... There's this truth that is there. There's this truth that is there that I forget. Senior pastor of a church here in L.A., I forget. And the moment I get overwhelmed and I think that can't happen, that won't happen, and if it's contrary to what God promises will happen, I'm setting my mind on earthly things. I forget that my soul is at the right hand of the Father. Let's go on. The Apostle Paul says beyond that, that the location of our soul is there. He says there's a, a foundation for our, our, our identity. Take a look at this. Uh, flip the page. It's on page 958. Verse 11. Uh, in that renewal, there is no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. Other passages say there's neither uh, male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Greek, but, but Christ is our are all in all, our, our identity. Now, I want you to imagine a tree. And I love the, the beauty of human creativity. We're all imagining a different tree. Imagine its roots underground, its uh, trunk, its, its limbs, maybe its leaves, maybe fruit. Now, imagine you as that tree. Now, some of you have adjusted your tree a bit. Uh, but imagine you as a tree. What the majority of Christians do is that we think that Christianity as an identity is just one of the limbs of our tree. 
you know, like I got a limb over here, I'm a Christian. I got a limb over here, I'm a mom. I got a limb over here, I'm a dad. I'm a limb over here, I'm American. I, a limb over here, I'm a Democrat. A limb over here, I'm, uh, you know, I like hip hop. A limb over here, you know, I live in Los Angeles. Limb over here, you know, I'm in the entertainment industry. We, we, we've got a lot of limbs of our life. And the way that we compartmentalize things and build our identity is that we we fragment all these different things. And we say, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's true about me, and that's true about me, and that's true about me. And Jesus says, I want none of that. Paul says, God wants none of that. The foundation for your identity, the roots of your identity, go down so deep that if you are actually able to ground yourself in the truest part of who you are, then it's going to change everything. It's going to change the limbs. It's going to change the leaves. It's going to change the fruit. Don't just put Jesus and your identity as a Christian off in the corner as one of many things. Bring it down to the roots. You see, the word radically comes from the Latin word radix. Let me hear you say radix. Do you know the word radical literally means the root of something? And that was the radical nature of the early church is that they realized that more true than their ethnicity, though that was true about them, more true than their gender, though that was true about them, uh, more true than their religious practices prior to that, though that was true about them, no matter what was true about them, there was something more rooted that was the source of who they were. In fact, this was so true that actually in the first century as people were following Jesus, uh, there, were, there was no title. There, some people called them the way or Jesus followers. But in this little town of Antioch, they began to make fun of Christians. Well, let me take a step back. They, they, they made fun of these Jesus followers by calling them Christians. You know, Christian literally means little Christ. How many of you have seen uh, Austin Powers? You know, you know, the great... <laughs> Great piece of art, right? Uh, Mini-me, right? You know, you got mini-me. And, and uh, yeah, right? Yeah. So, literally, in Antioch, they were making fun of these followers of Jesus because everything they did was modeled around who Jesus was in their life. They lived like Jesus. They loved like Jesus. They forgave like Jesus. They cared for the poor like Jesus. They forgave like Jesus. They sought justice like Jesus. And their whole life was so identified that their business practices flew out of that identity. Their sexuality flew out of that identity. Their relationships flew out of that identity. All the things that were true about them were grounded and rooted in the fact that they were followers of Jesus. And so they made fun of these group of people, and they called them little Christs, and they were so honored to be made fun of in that way that the title stuck. And over the millennia, we have so tarnished that label, not living like Jesus, but by living in all these different other ways, we're getting made fun of today for different reasons. What if we could be a people that was so rooted, was so grounded, was so planted that our foundation was in Christ so much that people were overwhelmed at how different we were living that's what Christ calls us to. That's what, that's what God calls us to. That's what Jesus has given his spirit to us to do. I have a number of people who call me up and say, this is who I am. Am I welcome at your church? This is how I vote. This is my sexuality. 
Uh, this is uh, where I live. This is how much uh, money I make. They don't go into details, you know. Is this just a church for the wealthy? Is this just a church for this political party? Is it just for a church where, where people look like one another? And here's what I say. When I look at Scripture, I see that there's an invitation to follow Jesus. And if you're interested in following Jesus with us, you're welcome here. If you're interested in allowing Jesus to be the very root and the foundation, and boy, we're on a journey of figuring this out together, but if you're interested in that, I would love to be on that journey with you. You see, the problem is that we, we think that we can modify Christian by all these other different words. But Jesus wants us to modify all these other different words by being a follower of Christ. You have a choice. Are you a Christian just out on the limbs, or are you going to be a radical Christ follower and have it be at your roots to change how you live, how you love, how you lead, how you, you act in this community, how you mother, how you father, how you parent, how you are single, all these different things. If you ground yourself in Jesus Christ, it changes everything. But Paul goes on. Paul goes on. He says this. It's not just the location of our soul. It's not just the foundation for our identity. It's the direction of our life. And here's what's fascinating. This is what's very convicting for me, and I hope that you are convicted down to your toes. Because I had somebody who loves me very well said, you know, I, I go to the same uh, uh, trainer. Uh, I've gotten them for a number of years. Uh, nice person and all, uh, but I haven't lost weight. Oh. Drew, you're kind of like that trainer. And this person said, I want you to challenge me in my faith. I want you to, to grow me in my faith. I want you to kick me in my spiritual bum, you know. You know how uh, uncomfortable that is? And I realized that the direction of my life, though I'm a pastor, though I'm a leader, though I'm a preacher, was not going the direction that Christ had called me to. It was going towards people-pleasing. It was going towards, uh, here's a Hebrew word. Here's a Latin, say radix with me, right? Here's some, uh, you know, some biochemistry and how that relates to Genesis 3. Wow. And yet this person, whom I love and respect dearly, called me on it, and I realized that I wasn't being obedient in challenging me and us as a church. And what's so amazing about this passage, take a look. In Colossians 3, he says something absolutely remarkable. Verse 12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourselves, and he goes on with a list of things. Now flip the page back. He's speaking to a group of people whose soul is located at the right hand of the Father. And he says to them, he says to Christians, Christ followers, he says, put to death these things. Yes, your future is secure. Yes, you are a beloved child of God. Yes, you have an identity that can be shook. 
Yes, you have been received into God's family. Yes, you are a new creation, and yet you are so broken and so sinful, and you are so bitter, and you're so selfish, and your life and your body is being used for all the wrong things. So therefore, because of this truth, go a different direction. Take off all the things, put to death all the things that destroy you, that destroy others. They cause you to be empty. They cause other people to be empty. They, they cause you to try to get ahead. Worship God with your bodies. Worship God with your work. Worship God in your play. Worship God in your eating. Worship God in your drinking. Put to death all these things. And the best way to put those things to death is to have a public funeral. You know, we live in a world where people think Tupac is still alive. Elvis is still alive, right? Because they're like, where's the body? Like, that was a huge right turn, right? <laughs> but when there are these public funerals where people see publicly an open casket, there is uh, no confusion that a person is dead. But when somebody is buried in secret, there's this wondering, are they still alive? And the best way to put to death the, the brokenness and the immorality and the selfishness and all the things that deteriorate who God longs for us to be is to have a public funeral, to be part of a committed, relational, loving group of people that speak the truth in love, a life group, where you say, this is where I'm struggling. I'm cheating on my spouse. Can you pray for me? I'm cooking the books in my company. Can you, can you pray for me? I'm struggling with this. I'm, I'm overwhelmed with that. Can you pray for me? I want to put this to death. Will you have a funeral with me? But we don't want to do that. Because in our humanness, we begin to lean towards our brokenness. We are the, the gravitational pull of our life. And the Apostle Paul says, when you are reminded of the location of your soul and the foundation of your identity, there must be a direction of your life that, that turns from your brokenness to the life that God longs for you to live. And it's a process of putting to death certain things and clothing yourself with other things. And that's the beauty of what Jesus has done. He takes away all the things that need to be taken away, and he gives you all the things that you need to get. In the book of Romans, it says that he who knew no sin became sin for us. He took away all of our bitterness, all of our rage, and he absorbed that on the cross. And he gave us his righteousness. Now, Paul says, now live out that truth. That's how we get part of the revival and renewal of all things. That what is true in the cosmic realms is true in our practice of life. That we are constantly putting to death our sin and our brokenness and we're inviting other people to pray for us, to know that we are bold in our forgiveness, but that we live into this great and glorious possibility of who God created us to be. God gives us this spirit to grow us, to transform us. But what's so amazing is hidden in all of this, there's this one phrase. Open those Bibles back up, and as we turn the corner here, it says this. Verse 13, bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. Forgive as God forgives you. In 1 John it says love because God first loved you. There's other passages that say we can be patient because God has been patient with us. 
You see, the only way we're going to have a direction of our life that goes towards wholeness and, and love and transformation for those around us is if we reflect on and we remember and we incorporate something that has already been done for us. Let me go back to the 1920s for a moment. Come with me. That, that younger brother was living in fear, was living in hiding, tremendous sorrow, paralyzing agony. And all of a sudden, word got to him that changed his life forever. He got word of what his brother did. He was so overwhelmed. Uh, he couldn't even fathom what was going on. And in his uh, blundering of trying to figure things out, he actually went to the authorities. True story. And he went and he says, no, 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 no. I was the one that did it. He was filled with so much grief, so much sorrow, so much. He said, I, I did it. Arrest me. I did it. You know what they said? True story. Somebody's already been arrested. Somebody's already been tried. Somebody's already received the penalty. Somebody's already been executed. True story. You're free to go. This younger brother left, just absolutely overwhelmed. I mean, put yourself in his shoes. Just how do you even process that? Well, his grief gave way to deep gratitude. His life completely changed. He couldn't change his life before. He had tried to. And when confronted with this gift of a new life, of a new chance, of a new opportunity to live a different way, with the choice that was made for him by an elder brother, he did a complete 180. Ultimately, gave his life to Christ. He made a tremendous impact in all of his spheres of influence, absolutely transformed. You are that younger sibling. I'm that younger sibling. We've got blood on our hands, Scripture says. And many of us, we walk around in deep, paralyzing agony when we realize that. We live with regret. We live with sorrow. Even if we're Christian, we go into hiding. And the good news of the gospel is that you have an older brother that died on your behalf. And when God's enemy says, no, 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 you need to be tried for that. You need to be killed for that. You need, to be, you need justice for what you've done. You have the ultimate judge who says, somebody has already gone on your behalf. Somebody's already died for you. By choice, you're free to go. Free not to continue in that life, but free to go with freedom to be transformed. Man, this is so convicting. Because I miss out on every single day of my life when I choose my way rather than God's way, when I am paralyzed by fear, when, I'm, when I have my mind set on just the things that I see. So, Baylor, would we be a church that knows that our soul is located at the right hand of the Father, that our foundation is grounded in Christ, and that he invites us to go on a journey towards Jesus, who is alive and well, who gives us his spirit, that we respond to his gift of grace and love. Let's take some next steps. Take a look in your bulletins in a moment before we respond and worship. Open those up on the left-hand side. There's some opportunities for you. Now it says in the beginning of that text, it says, if you have been raised with Christ... Uh, it's not a given that you have. If you have been raised in Christ, then all these things are true. But that's not true for everybody. You're not born into it. If, 
Maybe some of you, the next step you need to take is simply to say yes to Jesus. Simply with empty hands of faith, you're not holding on to your good deeds, your good works. Uh, you're not holding on to your bad deeds, thinking that that can't bring you to Christ. But with empty hands of faith, you hold on to what Jesus has done on your behalf. When you say yes to Jesus in that moment, you're raised to the right hand of the Father. You're given a new life, a new identity. You're given God's spirit. Some of you, the next step that you can take today is simply for the first time saying, yes, Jesus. I don't even know what that means, but I want to say yes to you. Whether you're online, you're listening to this after the fact, or you're here, you can say yes to him for the first time today. It changes everything. For some of you, the next step is to go public with your faith through baptism. You know, our next opportunity, uh, we've got one service on June 3rd after that. We're going to have some uh, full immersion baptisms. We're going to get the pool. We're going to get out the water. And some of you are going to get dunked for Jesus. You're going to go under the water, symbolizing that you're dead to sin. You're going to come out of the water alive in Christ. Some of you have not gone public with your faith. You've said yes to Jesus, but you're embarrassed. You've got an opportunity. It's the greatest IPO, it's the greatest public offering that you can ever do to go public and to say, look, I've said yes to Jesus. You can make that happen on that day. If you want information, it's all the information in your bulletin. And finally, the third one is we've got a great partner in the city in Harvest Home. We've got women who are coming off the street, who are coming out of just horrific situations, who are making the choice to care for their kids, and they need help, they need prayer, they need encouragement, they need love. You can volunteer. You can come alongside them. You can encourage them. All the information is in your bulletin. In a moment, we're going to respond and worship. But let's not let this moment pass us. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for those that are, that are wanting to say yes to Jesus. Let's pray together. Loving God, this moment won't happen again. We'll go on our way in a bit. We'll get distracted by a variety of things, good things. But God, in this moment, would your spirit meet us in the reality of where we are? Woo us. Transform us. Give us hope and courage. Humble us. Do what only you can do. In Jesus' name I pray and we say together.